Howdy, BHR Sears. Uh, you can find every episode of Why People on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcast content. Uh, on this Why People episode, episode number 13, uh, we talked to Jennifer Hansen, who is the CHRO at Accolade. Jennifer has a really cool and, and somewhat uh, untraditional background into the top HR and people see. Uh, so let's get to it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Why People podcast, a Boston HR Council production. Uh, for those new listeners unfamiliar with the BHRC, uh, it is one of the largest HR and executive people communities uh, in the world with just over 1,200 um, active uh, CHROs, chief people officers, and VP of HRs. We're joined by uh, BHRC co-founder and Why People co-host, Paul Roberts. Good morning. Great to be here. Excited for today's episode. Thanks, Paul, and super excited to uh, announce our uh, our guest today. Jennifer Hansen is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Accolade. Jen, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yep, we're we're excited uh, excited to have you. Excited for the conversation. I told you in the pre call. I'm a little bit excited because I know somewhat uh, about your uh, your background. So uh, to you know, excited to hear more about the journey. Jen, I know you had mentioned you've you've heard a few of the podcasts. We really try to keep it, um, you know, pretty basic from a framework perspective. As the community said, "Hey, Paul and Sean, we'd love to hear a little bit more about how these folks um, got into these into these seats." So, um, you know, we'll chat a little bit about your, uh, your your background, a little bit about the career journey, and then we'll chat a little bit about, you know, kind of you know what you're thinking about the future. So, happy to kind of turn it over to you and and, and kind of help situate us with. With uh, with who who Jen is? <laughs> Wonderful, happy to happy to take that. So, uh, uh, you know, people love to talk about themselves. So that's always a that's always an easy topic to start with. So, really excited to be here, particularly the opportunity to to just share with folks who may be on a less traditional journey and wondering. You know, I've had some folks uh, find me on LinkedIn and say, "Wait a minute, how did you end up in this role?" How did that happen? And, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I think I started, you know, uh, my career uh, in law school, right? I went right from college into law school. I was a sociology major undergrad, so definitely always interested in people and what drives people and all of those things. Went to law school at Northeastern uh, here in Boston, uh, loved it, learned a ton, uh, totally by accident, ended up uh, having my first job uh, at another sort of Boston uh, institution, uh, John Hancock, back when they had healthcare. So started there very early on and uh, got right into physician and hospital contracting, which who would have thought? I thought I was going to be a litigator first, like twist in the career and like what happened uh, was that. And if I go if even a half a step back, I think, you know, one of the most impactful moments for me in terms of thinking about people differently uh, was I was actually in an internship uh, at uh, at Northeastern, and I ended up in the at, at the time they called it Boston City Hospital, right? Uh, and I was doing emergency restraining orders for folks who were victims of domestic violence, right? 
And that's that moment where uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, up on, you know, Lake Onipasaki. My family owned a, a small uh, resort. Some might call it a trailer park uh, on the lake back in the day. But but that's that moment where you realize there are people with very different lived experiences than what I have. And there's an opportunity for me to make a difference in this world, right? And so that that kind of drove me to, you know, throughout my career, understand that, you know, if you've sat in an emergency room holding the hand of someone who's just been harmed by someone they care about, you realize there are things going on in this world in everyone's life that you don't expect. And so if I think about that as sort of a theme uh, throughout, it's sort of putting people first. Um, and then I would say the second thing was was innovation. I was lucky enough in that John Hancock job to be uh, to land my very first job on a team that was building a brand new healthcare product. So I was like, wait a minute, like, I didn't even know what the words were at the time, right? I didn't know what I was doing. But I started to be on an innovative team. And, and uh, the the product they were looking to sell ended up uh, not not launching. But I learned sort of from the ground up, like, how were they thinking about it differently? They were trying to contract with um, doctors directly without going through doctor organizations, which you can imagine didn't didn't go all that well. But through there, I got into healthcare and started working in innovation. I ended up at Tufts Health Plan got to work on some of the first HRAs, HSAs. And so that was that innovative bend. Ended up from there going to uh, Fidelity. And Fidelity is, a, a, you know, obviously another institution in Boston. But one of the things I love about Fidelity, uh, and, and you know, shout out to my, my peeps there, you know, they really do encourage employees, and this is something I would encourage all of our CHROs to think about, to do different things, right? And so once I hit Fidelity, I actually had three different careers there. Um, and the first was taking that legal experience, focusing on people, but also innovation and moving in to be uh, a lawyer at, at Fidelity. And they really stretched me to try different things. And that was the first lesson I think I got in my career was, you know, you need to be OK doing things outside your comfort zone. I say to my team all the time, like a seed needs to crack to grow. And there's been a lot of times in my career when I crack. There's a lot of those moments of you're like sitting in the fetal position in the corner wondering what the heck you just did. But it started there, um, starting as a, you know, a healthcare attorney to the next thing you know is being asked to run ERISA plans and learn how to think about new benefits and contracting with carriers and all of that stuff as a lawyer that was was very different to me. Tons of experience. So got to do that. Uh, I was lucky enough from there uh, to switch out of the legal department, second career, into running first employee benefits for Fidelity. And then Hiking back into that desire to help people and understand people's journeys who are different than mine, I ended up running what they called um, associate experience at, at Fidelity. They call employees associates, right? So I ended up running uh, associate experience and got to build that function from the ground up. And that for me was was so impactful and, and impacts everything I do today because it was that moment where I got to focus on an organization. At that point, it was about 40,000 employees, but my job was to understand each population and I got to spend time with our employees, you know, out in the field, spending time at all the different contact centers, understanding what does it feel like to be an entry level employee and how different is that from the folks that I had the privilege of spending time with in the legal department. And that has so many lessons there. Like what your your view of the world is not 
necessarily your employee's view of the world, and especially those in roles that are considerably different than yours. So got to do that. In that role also was was blessed in that I got to work with them a lot of really cool innovators. I um, I was always someone who's super curious and I also was never satisfied with the status quo. And because of that, I ended up aligning with folks in the industry who are really doing new and exciting things. So I, I got to be one of the uh, co-founders of an organization called the Employee Health Innovation, oh, sorry, Employer Health Innovation Roundtable, EHIR, um, that was... Um, I shouldn't say co-founder, I was one of the first employers participating, uh, which was really pretty incredible. And that was where I start, started getting introduced to venture capitalists and startups for the first time. And it was um, a little bit like Sharp Tank, like we brought folks in to share their, their innovative ideas and got to get feedback. We also got coached by venture capitalists as large employers. How do you, how do you help innovative startups get going? So that was like that innovative bend. I then was able to also, I was the co-founder and first co-chair for the business group on health for the Health Innovation Forum. So you see this thread of healthcare falling through, but also now innovation. And again, similar similar, uh, format, getting to work with with startups. And so that taught me, so now I've got these these sort of basic foundations of like people matter and how do I think about people balanced with innovation and how do we bring innovation that will make the lives better of our employees. So we start to weave those two together, which takes me to my third opportunity uh, at Fidelity. My third career was, I think, uh, I had been in the center, which uh, is generally a cost center. We generally spend money. I think that the company said, you know, hey, we've got this innovation. Why don't we see if we can do something where we actually uh, derive some some profit instead of just spending, spending money? And I got the opportunity to help uh, found a, a business within Fidelity um, called Fidelity Medicare Services. And that I learned a ton. I was embedded in uh, Fidelity Labs, which is an incredible place, learned about uh, human-centered design, design strategy, worked with a design strategist who was amazing, product people, design folks. And again, what I learned was getting back to people is what matters, right? So we actually got in a van, like a little like rental van in North Carolina uh, with uh, uh, recording equipment and a video camera and drove around North Carolina meeting with people who were uh, enrolling in Medicare for the first time. And let me tell you, there's, it, you know, as someone who like, if you've been in corporate America and you haven't sat in someone's house and talked to them about a problem they're having, that is a whole different level of learning about people's experiences. And really learning in that, I learned that my gut, my perception, what I believe about the world is generally wrong about 50% of the time. So, you know, like how I would have designed that product if I had relied on myself versus going into people's homes. And there's, we don't have enough time on the podcast for all the fun stories of, you know, being chased out of people's yards or in the wrong house and, uh, you know, medical events happening like while we're sitting interviewing people. It was, it was a pretty exciting ride, but got to learn how to do that. So, so then you say like, how did someone who like had a healthcare background, ran benefits, and then ended up founding a startup, end up as a CHRO? And I think we were, you know, it was uh, probably two years ago now, about this time, getting into the fall. Um, I was starting to think about what I wanted to do next because the business was starting to scale. And what I felt was this incredible pull that I was now focused more on sort of the the operational needs of the business and not as much. I was separated from the customer again. Like I lost that time spending like talking to people in their homes. And I felt this incredible pull to to get back to to people. Um, I was lucky enough at the time. Uh, uh, I knew uh, 
Raj Singh, who is the CEO of um, Accolade, was lucky enough at the time to run into him um, and um, sort of was talking about this desire to get back to helping people on the ground. Uh, and I knew Accolade really well. Uh, they were one of uh, Fidelity's benefit partners um, that they offered to their own employees. I was actually the buyer who chose Accolades. So it was close to that. And we started talking. And, and it was one of those moments where I said, again, the seed needs to crack to grow, right? Like, this is going to be hard. I've never done this before. But the idea of being able to go somewhere where they are people-centric with a mission that's designed to help people um, at a time when they're looking to scale. So a lot of the experience I had from a bigger company I could bring to bear, but also do a ton of innovation, like not be not be comfortable with the status quo and really push um, to do things differently. And so here I am. So I'm I'm a little over a year. May 2nd uh, was my uh, my year anniversary. Um, it's been a lot of learning. I'm continuing on my only right about 50% of the time as I learn and grow and have to, you know, pivot and reimagine. Um, but, um, that's the, the journey thus far. Jen, thank you so much for, for sharing and giving us the background to our conversation, um, today. Uh, what a cool and unique, um, path, um, in, in some of the notes, uh, I, I had written down, um, you kind of. You kind of had the same energy when you talked about um, the kind of the innovative role that you were put in at John Hancock and the the Medicare opportunity, you know, from a product standpoint at Fidelity, where it really was more of a, a full on business approach while marrying the the people part of the business. Um, and the, the kind of the first question I had was a lot of your peers that we chat with when it comes to, I don't know if it's advice or, or lessons learned, they chat about the um, this um, this dynamic that as HR and people leaders that, that, that we can get stuck in just the HR and people function, right? Whether it be from a nomenclature standpoint or a lens perspective, and I, I promise I'm not stereotyping, but I have to imagine as, a, as an attorney, right? Uh, with, a, with a background there, it, it could be easy you to get to get stuck there so my, my first question is is um is how did you kind of venture outside of that and again i could i could feel the energy when you talked about the the john hancock and the fidelity medicare opportunity how'd you how'd you make sure that you got outside of of that theme while still being rooted in in of course your background you know yeah i, th I think the first thing is to is uh to be curious right i think um you need to, you know, I, uh, I'm i glad this is a podcast. I spend a lot of time. I listen to podcasts every single morning. I think constantly listening to what's going on in other industries and thinking about what's going on there. I think for me, it was the opportunity to spend time with startups who really looked at the world through a different lens, really gave me a lot of opportunity to to do that, that as well. I'm probably, you know, uh, nod to uh, Rich Eskew, our general counsel at Accolade. I'm probably like the, the lawyer's worst nightmare is, which is someone who wants to push innovation but knows the law. And so uh, I know I'm really lucky at Accolade. Our, our legal team is incredibly, in, you know, uh, embracing of innovation. I think that's been a real, you know, I think if you think about uh, HR departments and sort of the, the, the big three, right, your legal, your HR and your finance together. Those are three organizations that have just transformed in the last, I would say, five to 10 years from very traditional, everyone sort of doing the things the way they've always done them, to really having to become client-centric, right, which needs business-centric, you know, engines of innovation. You know, we needed to shift our whole perspective from, no, we can't do this because, to, 
You want to do that? Let's think about how we get there, right? It's a whole different mindset for all of us. Um, and um, at the pace of business now, if you aren't lifting your head and thinking about uh, other industries you can borrow from or how you might approach things differently, you will fall behind. Yeah, that's that's neat. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of smiling thinking about some of those conversations with your with your GC, how those might go. I mean, geez, must be a pretty good back and forth as far as what the you know what the limits are or innovation. I mean, those two things kind of push each other just generally, but um, it, it, pretty good there, Jen. I would say it's 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 not a back and forth. I would say uh, I would say both my CFO uh, and my and my general counsel are my most important partners. You know, obviously together with the business and the leadership team. But when if if you think about the way I described my background, what I love are hard problems to solve. Those are the humans that can help you solve hard problems, right? And so sometimes to meet the needs of the business while still making sure you're thinking really hard about your employee population and what they need, you need that partnership to think differently. And having those two individuals side by side as we, you know, I'll give a great example as we think about, you know, I'm going to stay on healthcare because that tends to be more my my bend, but, you know, we identified a problem that our lowest paid employees uh, were uh, paying such a high portion, proportion of their out-of-pocket pay on healthcare. They were either missing help needed health care or were foregoing other important uh, needs in their lives, food, uh, shelter, things like that. So making sure that we thought about that. So I had to partner with my CFO to say, I want to charge them less for health care, but I know you've told me I need to be budget neutral. So I need help from you to think about, like, help me build the models to figure out where do we shift that cost? And we ended up ending, looking at our highest paid and saying, Guys, if we increase your 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 charge for your healthcare significantly, it's still only going to be less than a percentage of your pay. Our lowest paid, we're paying you know 10, 20% of their take home pay for healthcare. So let's fix that. Those were the partners I needed to solve that I couldn't do it on my own. That makes sense, Jen, and, and yeah, I think that will that likely resonate a, a lot with our audience. Another question that 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 came up as you were giving kind of the background, you know, when we chat with 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 your peers, the you know a lot of times it what comes up is from a CHRO and a chief people officer function perspective is the um, the spectrum of, of, of what that function covers is, is kind of getting wider and wider and wider. And I don't care who you are, you're coming into this role, whether it's the first time or it's, it's, it's not. Your background is your background, right? Your your whether it's your your formal training or, or the experience gained somewhere else uh, is is kind of where you are. Um, we're hearing from folks that that because that spectrum is getting so much wider, there's a lot of areas that that maybe folks aren't expert in or haven't spent a lot of time. Just curious, you know, how have you kind of rounded that spectrum out based on based on your background? I I will be you know fully vulnerable here. Like I, that is an incredibly hard thing, right? In, in that there's there's a lot that you you don't know, and so I would say there's a, a couple different things I draw on for that. Um, uh, I'm going to go back to that the startup uh, within Fidelity Experience. So first is I got dropped into that startup into Labs uh, as the managing director, uh, and realized for the first time in my career my deep subject matter expertise was useless. Right. For the first time in my career, like I wasn't the smartest person in the room. Uh, and that was a real growth opportunity for me to think about what then value do you add? And I think that is the same transition that I went through going into into accolade as well. And the, the transition is going from 
I need to be the smartest person in the room who knows all the answers to, I need to be the person in the room who asks the best questions. My sole job in this world is to remove blockers so that my team can do their best work, right? And there's there's some navigation at the top of the house. So in the in the, in the the startup with Infidelity, it was sort of working with the, the investor committee, making sure that we were removing those blockers. At Accolade, it's the same thing. I'm working with the executive team, making sure they understand what we're, there, we're doing. They're bought into the strategy. They're fully supportive. And then it's just understanding what is getting in the way of the really smart people I have hired. So that's the second thing is make sure you are hiring the team that has the skill set to to do what you want to do. Um, and you need to bring in that expertise. And you always you know, for me, I know uh, I, I for half a second had a planning and strategy role and realized very quickly that that was not a strength of mine. And so I, I know wherever I go, I need to balance myself with really strong people who have planning and strategy skill sets, right? So it's this it's this moment where you have to think about bringing in complementary talent, and I think the we just uh, launched a new uh, a training on unconscious bias uh, at Ackley, which required me to sort of reflect on you know the first time I realized that I had unconscious bias. I was running the benefits team at Fidelity at the time, and I was taking an unconscious bias training for the first time. And I remember looking up and thinking, I don't have any unconscious bias. I don't do that. And then I looked around and realized uh, my entire team was women uh, who were generally uh, fairly ambitious like myself. Not only that, they were all 40 years old-ish, you know, in their 40s. They all had kids. Uh, and then when I looked around, I like, I like, oh my goodness, they all come from the North Shore of Boston. So I was literally hiring people in my own image rather than hiring people who might compliment me. And those those women, if y'all if y'all are listening out there, you're amazing. I love you. Uh, many of them have gone on to do uh, really amazing things, and I'm super super proud of them. But in the same sense, for me, it was that moment as I grow as a leader, I need to make sure I'm bringing in folks who have skill sets that are other than what I'm bringing. Uh, to the table um, and getting comfortable with people who make you uncomfortable. That's, uh, we app- app- certainly appreciate that vulnerability, Jen. And, and it kind of leads into the next question. We're right at your kind of one year mark, I, I believe, right at, at Adelaide yeah. in the yeah. CGRO role. You had mentioned some some really neat stops, um, you know, overseeing, you know, associate experience. So your your background was was pretty broad, specific to the CHRO role coming into it. But just curious, um, is there anything in this first year, doesn't need to be specific to accolade, just could be specific to the function, that you, that you said, geez, I, I guess I didn't realize either that, that this was a part of it or that I'd be spending so much time here. Anything that really jumps off the page is like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. We, um, so I'm just, I'm going to reflect on that for one second. I think for me, uh, the area that I had not been as close with in my past, I'd, I'd hired a lot of talent, but I hadn't really been frontline in terms of looking at talent populations as a whole. And I think for even for seasoned CHROs, and would love to to hear from from some of those folks who know it a lot better than I do. I do think that the macro talent environment has just changed so drastically from uh, 2019 through COVID, through uh, you know everyone going home, uh, everyone struggling with uh, return to office. And I know these are probably you know topics that are well worn at this point. But I think trying to imagine the what the talent profile is going to look like in the future is incredibly difficult right now. I feel like almost every week it's changing. And I think that's probably the hardest thing uh, for me and really digging into primarily our, our, our entry level talent. And so anyone who has a contact center or retail uh, 
uh, I think of our trucking industry, those industries are so challenged. And those, those, I don't think I had anticipated that thinking about those challenges would dominate as much of my time as it does. Having said it, as I said before, I love a hard problem to solve and we're, we're digging into it. But that's where I think the steepest learning curve has been for me. And, and it just, you, there's nothing you can rely on from past experience because, you know, between the time I interviewed with Accolade and when I started, we went from wearing masks and, you know, primarily working from home to coming in the office. And it's just, uh, I think we're all still very much feeling our way around uh, that transition. Jenna, we, we hear that a lot. And I, I guess the the talent economy is 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 something that, um, you know, a, kind of a moniker we've heard. I actually thought you were about to tell us that you had solved it and that you were going to share. And I was thinking to myself, Paul, we, this this might we might go like double viral. Um, I will tell you, uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, I think this is uh, December. So uh Maybe uh, maybe by June we can have a conversation. I think I think we're we're working on some stuff that I'm pretty excited about that I think is uh, pretty innovative. I don't think I'm ready to uh, to share that publicly yet. All right, fair enough. Well, well, Jen. So th- so thanks for kind of you know bringing us along, allowing us to ask some questions um, about your journey so far. And as we kind of and it's you know where we end, it's perfect because we we love to spend maybe you know the the back part of the conversation and and thinking about the future a little bit. So I guess. You know, first question there, relative to just getting to one year at, at Accolade and and really being in the CHRO seat, you know, for your first time, and you could argue some of your stops, you know, had, had been you know CHRO adjacent or you know at a at a at a, at a micro level. But yeah. uh, how are you thinking about the role, the function, relative to Jen and your background? Maybe not so specific to your organization, but how are you thinking about it as you kind of project into the future? knowing that you just kind of shared a little bit um, with what we were just chatting about. The first thing I think for me is it's uh, it's all about talent. It's all about talent. Um, and I think it, and I think this is in any role, but I think in the CHR role, role, surrounding yourself with really strong people who can collaborate with you, but who on their own can also very much innovate, build strategy, bring good ideas, coaching those individuals to be able to to build those skill sets. I was I was really blessed in terms of the the variety of of my my career opportunities. And I think bringing that to bear for the team that I'm building is incredibly important. Yeah. To to that end, Jen, it's it's interesting. Paul and I, you know, we have the good fortune of chatting with a lot of your peers and contemporaries, and and you know, we come across a ton of folks that lead centers of excellence mm. at, at at organizations. That you know, when you're chatting with them, you're thinking to yourself, this this person is just an absolute, you know, a, a, a rocket ship. This person could you know do anything. And then when you ask the question, hey, I'm just curious, how come you don't you know lead the overall function? The answers are, are are different, but kind of the same. And saying I'm, I much more enjoy kind of my yeah being on the highway than having to pull back and, and make sure everyone's kind of you know driving at the right speed or at the right pace. So as you think about talent and as you think about you know that I guess dynamic which I just shared with you, you know how do you think about that relative to you know your ecosystem and 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 the folks that are, are in your charge, I guess. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to give away secrets. Y'all can't see how old I am, but, uh, 
you know, this is this is probably towards the towards the the latter end of my of my career. And I think one of the things that that I'm most excited about is probably have been since my my last role at Fidelity as well is is being really, really thoughtful about, you know, the talent that I am privileged to coach and spend time with. And and I still spend time with folks from prior jobs as well, but primarily my team, you know, that privilege to be able to help folks see what their career could be, what where they can take on more, what that next step might be. I think, you know, I coach a lot of folks around thinking through that so that it's, you know, you do have your what I call well-placed. Like, I am well-placed. I love what I'm doing. I will never leave this. You still need to make sure that you're giving them opportunities to grow. And that's that whole, remember I said, look, you know, lift up, lift your head up, make sure you're looking outside your industry, make sure you're giving them those opportunities so that even if they are well-placed in a COE, you, they're understanding what's going on in the industry. It's really easy, but right now things are changing fast. Uh, you know, at, at some point we should probably talk about AI a little bit. Like I think all of things are going to change really, really fast. And so helping folks, even if they're well-placed and want to do that, get there. I think the second piece is a lot of folks ask me because I've had such a varied career, like how did you jump from one thing to another? And I think helping folks in who may say, okay, I want to do this for so many years, then I want to do something else, helping them build a framework so they can start to imagine what that might be. And that really, as you grow in your career, it's taking that mind shift from these are the experiences I have had, and that's how I tell my story, to these are the skills, the transferable skills I have that I can use to do something new. And so I often walk folks through a framework around what are you really good at? What are you not good at? Like people really need to understand what they're not good at and be okay saying that out loud so they don't take the wrong job because they get really excited about the opportunity, right? So know that. And then what gets you out of bed in the morning and what makes you not want to go to work, right? And those are, those are for me, those are the four things you got to be able to answer for yourself. That will help chart your, your path um, in terms of like, what's that next opportunity you should be looking at? That's great, Jennifer. I almost feel like a, a Boston HR Council exercise coming on. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, you know, four areas of the root of, of, of a rubrics and and uh, and have folks fill it out uh, on a virtual call. But that's for that's for something else. But I, I love that you chatted about AI. And for you know, for for our our our, our listeners, you know, we're um, we're recording this a little bit earlier um, than uh, than the published date on December first. So we won't hold any of us to you know to to you know getting it wrong or not getting it all the way right but just curious um jen as you think about ai as you think about um your function and, and i think it's neat again this is me saying it uh, you know outside of you know of of your four walls but i think it's neat because i know accolade to be you know an organization that's super innovative uh and, and and thinks about these things so how are you thinking about it how are you thinking about it within your team and you know how are you thinking about it generally I think we're going to see the most transformative impact on HR we've ever seen in the next five years if you look at AI and large language models. And I think it's going to be incredibly important for us to stay abreast of what are the opportunities out there. There's much of what we do that could be automated in some of these models that could really free our team up to do the innovation, to really think about the harder problems, to dig deeper into the data. I'm also very focus on being data-driven, but there's also a huge risk here, right? And so I'll give you an example, just because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, from this morning, I had an employee who had her one-year-old son pass away. And so I was talking to her this morning, you can't do that through AI, right? So how do you, how do you make sure that you don't lose that empathy, that human touch, that vulnerability that I think makes the a company culture um, and makes it 
a place where people want to work because they feel cared about as a whole person, but also get the benefits of AI or a large language model that can really help you think through what can I automate so that my my really incredible talented humans can focus on the talented humans we want to have work here, right? And I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see some of sort of the the drudgery of HR, to for lack of a better word, I think be alleviated. But we need to be so thoughtful about where we apply that technology. And so lifting our heads, understanding who's doing this well, where we can borrow things from, where where we want to take learnings from will be incredibly important over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. Well said, Jen. And of course, you know, terrible to hear about your your teammate. Um, kind of a follow-up question there. Uh, and we've been lucky as a as a Boston HR council community to um, to have some uh, forward thinking uh, AI uh, and and more specifically generative AI leaders yeah. jump yeah. on and chat with us a bit. And of course, uh, they're all they're all bullish. Yeah. And 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 I think in most cases, rightfully so. I think we've we've already seen some places implement some things that have allowed folks to 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 give more time and energy to more impactful work. I guess I'm surprised with your background, you know, uh, you know, your, your, your legal background, you, you really, you really didn't seem too worried from a, you know, what could go wrong standpoint. And that's what we're hearing from a lot of folks is why, um, why this conversation hasn't matured, at least the yeah. time reporting. So just, just curious how you think about it from that lens. I, I think it's, I think it's an absolute, uh, Fair concern, and and we should be thinking about these things. First off, I'm I tend to be uh, more forward looking than others. Just generally, I tend to be more uh, uh, less risk averse. I guess that's part of my like part of part of the part of the plus and the minus of of living in my head. But I but I also think this is that that moment where you know people were people were afraid of you know smartphones when they came out, right? And if and if we if we hadn't jumped on that innovation. You know, you would be left behind if you're someone right now who does not have a mobile interface. That will that would be problematic for you in terms of how you're reaching out to your 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 customers or your employee population. So I do think this is one of those moments. As I said, like we need to be really thoughtful about where we use it. There are going to be moments where it's not going to be helpful. Having said that, every single one of us has an incredible engagement problem with our employee. Right? If we that is the biggest thing. Like, how do you get their eyeballs on the the problem that they're looking to solve at the moment they need to solve it, right? We all have created intra, you know, intranet sites with incredible amounts of information, some which are probably a little bit easier to navigate than others, but they're all pretty awful. We've got uh, content management systems where we have, you know, nothing that we do in the HR space is generally easy. If you think about it, it's a highly regulated space. If we're trying to help an employee, you know, take an employee who has to go out on a medical leave and we're helping them navigate through all of that, right? That's a lot of different things you're navigating. You're navigating potentially short-term disability. You're navigating FMLA. You're navigating manager communications. You're navigating, you know, understanding like our systems being shut on and shut, you know, turned off access, all of these things. All of that right now, we have such a high risk of error because much of it is manually processed, right? We've got humans involved. How do we help that person get the information they need so that in the moment they need it in a much more usable way? Right now we're sending out PDFs, right? Like we have to be able to do that better. Yeah, I, I agree, Jen. Um, and and uh, you're you're right. I think everyone's kind of looking forward to the to the day um, if it if it's coming where um, 
every employee is is doing the least amount of you know work that can be automated as possible and more able to focus on each other and focus on you know the the really impactful work so so yeah i'm totally on board with it there how we typically round out this conversation janet and i, I think it's going to be unique to hear your insights based on your journey is you know uh, i'd say maybe 25 percent of the boston hr council community are folks that are in a director level role or a VP role that are thinking about, hey, geez, I heard that Jennifer Hansen person on the podcast. What a cool, what a cool person. I I think I would love to be a CHRO someday. So would love to kind of hear your thoughts or or maybe uh, pieces of advice um, for someone that might be earlier on in their executive journey that that may want to to lead the full function someday. Yeah, I think um I think that's so important. And I think um, we've talked about some of this, um, but if I if I boil it down to, to to three things, right, that you need to do, it's a, it's that really interesting moment, as I, as I mentioned from my own background, when you go from sort of that moment where you're rewarded for knowing things to doing two things, you're basically asking good questions. And you're also, as you start to, you know, understand sort of the time limits of being on an executive team, you realize that it's all about being able to share complex concepts simply and quickly, right? So you need to be that translator and that advocate for your team, but you need to be able to do it. You know, what you used to be able to spend four hours on, you may only get 20 minutes in executive staff to share, right? And so being that person who can tell a story simply and in a way that your leadership can follow you is incredibly important. So I think one of the biggest challenges I see for new leaders as they're stepping up is they still want to go they still want to share everything they know, right? Because they're incredibly smart. They have all this experience. I think the important thing is to really figure out how to make that transition to not what do I want to tell you about what I know, but thinking about your audience. It's again, it's sort of building on that empathy, right? Thinking about your audience and what do they need to know in order to take whatever action you're asking them to take. If it's informed, how much do they need to be informed? If to make a decision, what's the data they need to make that decision or the information they need to make that decision? It's really putting yourself in your and putting yourself in your audience's shoes. And then it's just the three I've been talking about. Ask good questions. Understand that you can't trust your gut all the time. You're going to be wrong about you know half the time. And so make sure you're validating, asking questions, understanding what your you know whomever you're looking to serve really needs. And then finally, lead with you know authenticity and vulnerability. You know, a lot of people come into these senior roles and they want to they want to show that they can do it, like that they've got what it takes, right? And so they lose that that vulnerability of being able to say, "Look, I don't know how to do this." That's the most. That's probably the biggest mistake I made early on is not being able to like being so hung up on making sure I belonged where I had landed that I didn't ask for enough help. Appreciate you again sharing that, Jen. And, and a, a last question, just based on what you shared, and I I've stopped trying to get the the terminology right because I I don't it probably doesn't exist. But work life balance, work life harmony, work life yeah. whatever it is. Um, I had a, a boss a long time ago. Um, she was amazing. I, I was it was way too late, you know, in, in the office one I don't know Thursday or Friday, and I had my whiteboard going right, and I was crossing everything off, and she just laughed, and I said, "What's so funny?" And she said. Well, that list is never going to end. You know, what do you, what do you go home? You know, and let's up so you can cross more off tomorrow. So, I guess the question for me, Jen, is and and for the audience is is this role is 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 big and it's getting wider. How do you how do you think about it? 
relative to balance and and what's achievable and and, and what is it. So the way the way I look at this, uh, and I and I spend a lot of time, particularly with uh, folks who are new parents, I mean that's a moment of great change when this question gets asked. But I don't I don't believe in work life balance. Uh, what I believe is in work life choices, right? And I think every single day, you kind of need to get up and decide, like, what do I need to focus on today? Um, and for me, just personally, there are three parts of my life that are really important to me. There's my family first, there's work, and then um, I'm an athlete. So making sure that I'm getting in just for my own mental health, working out is really important to me um, and, and making sure I have that time away from my desk. And so one of the exercises I suggest to folks, you know, everyone has a, has a fridge, everyone has post-it notes, right? But like whatever the three things are in your life that matter the most, it might not be being an athlete. It might be, you know, you're an avid reader or you like to swim or you like to, you know, uh, garden, whatever your other thing is, make sure that's on there, whatever feeds you and feeds your soul. And what I like to do is, is start to say, okay, you've got red, yellow, and green. Put the red post-its on your note, every on your, on your fridge, every single day when work is the priority. Give yourself a green post-it when it's, family and give yourself yellow when you're giving yourself some space. And it shouldn't, you know, it, it shouldn't be all red, right? That's the whole thing. It's, and it's, and it's not that you're not doing all of those things every day, potentially, but on the day that it's the big, you know, back to school, you know, picnic, you gotta, family's gotta be the most important thing that day. For me, if I'm, if, you know, I'm training for an event and I got to get a long run in, I may choose to do that before work. You know, it just, how do you do that? And I think the visual across of starting to say, wait a minute, I've been all red post-its for a while. This is very old school using post-its. I'm sure there's a digital way to do this a lot better, but you know, but um, really helps. And I think for new parents too, to just give that permission or parents generally to say like family needs to be important too. And I need to see that show up on, on my fridge. And sometimes that's a good way to get a little, you know, even for me, like a little gut check of where is my attention? Been. Yeah. I think that's, that's awesome advice, Jen. I'm, I'm just smiling because we were chatting on the pre-call and we were in a little different, um, little different <laughs> spots uh, on the parent, on the you know, on the parenthood side from a age uh, ages standpoint. But I'm just thinking, you know, when I when I have my yellow post-it note out there, and I get a little pushback from from my wife, I'm gonna say, hey, Jen, Jen said that I, I needed to make sure this was a yellow day today. So <laughs> well, but, well, that's that's a whole other negotiation. So uh, that's for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jen, this has been um, a lot of fun. Uh, we appreciate uh, you jumping on. Uh, loved hearing about your journey. Your advice uh, what was spot on, and we're really, really excited to watch what you and the uh, the athlete team do here moving into the future. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you guys, um, the Boston HR Council. There's so much information you guys are bringing forward, and as a new uh, as a new CHRO, uh, I'll take all the help I can get. So I'm really glad you guys are out there. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jen. Let's take a second think back. Think back. My, 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 my physical frame is celebrating because I made it.